Continuing on in our detour from the Gospel of John, much needed texts that we've gone over, much needed topics for us today when we consider where we are as a nation and a society that's been given over as it seems. So as I've gone through and studied uh, these passages and gone over and looked at these topics, I mean, these aren't easy things for me to preach. I mean, preaching is not easy as, as it is, but this has indeed caused more warfare in my life. Um, it has indeed caused uh, me to be more focused and more thinking about things and um, uh, some sorrow in my heart as I had to study some of these things out considering what's going on in the, in the world today. But it is needed for us to hear these things. It is needed for us to be reminded and it is needed for us to understand where we are and what the scriptures have to say about where we are and what then shall we do and how then indeed shall we live. So after this morning, perhaps I have one more sermon from the detour and then, Lord willing, getting back to the Gospel of John. Well, a lot of times when you consider our society and when we say, wow, we just shake our head and we're shocked, just say Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 32. And we can summarize it with that. Let's just read that. Follow along with me in this section and then we'll get right into our study. Romans chapter 1 verse 18 through 32. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in a form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged a natural, natural function for that which is unnatural. In the same way, the men abandoned the natural function of the women and burned their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, and merciful. And although they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they give hearty approval to those who practice them. Father, again, I ask for the help of the Holy Spirit as I preach your word this morning. Pray, O God, that you would use me, a weak man, use me in a mighty way. Use me this day to proclaim your truth for the glory of Jesus Christ. In his name I pray, amen. 
<clears throat> a quote from Carl F. H. Henry, 1988. He says the following, The startling spread of secular theory continues as a major phenomenon in the 20th century. No Christian statement, statesman foresaw in 1900 that our era would be marked by a massive defection, unparalleled in history, by descendants of Christian parents. Instead, evangelicals spoke of winning the world for Christ in a single generation. From a mere 0.2% of the world population in 1900, atheists grew in number to uh, 20.8 in 1980, increasing by 8.5 million a year. Atheists by 1984 totaled 1 billion, a number that includes liberal humanists and skeptical non-believers, as well as dialectical materialists. More rather than less countries than in 1970 are now officially atheistic. In fact, during the last 15 years, atheism added 60 million adherents. That was in 1988, and again, we see atheists, and I say there's no such thing as an atheist, but professing atheists, will, we will say that. I will give them that. It just shows 1988 where we were. Fast forward to now, and we see, wow, where we are this day. We have examined three portions of Scripture um, that describe outcomes of idolatry. Genesis 3, we looked at Adam and his focus shifting from God to himself and to Satan. In Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 1 through 16, people of Jerusalem and leaders included turning from God to idols. And we saw the outcome of that as well. And in Psalm 106, three periods of history, Israel turning from God to idols. And we pick up again where we are this morning in Romans chapter 1. Just as a quick recap and review of verse 18 through 23, I remind you of G.K. Beale's quote when he says, When one turns from trust in God to trust in some part of God's creation, then the heart becomes darkened, and all manner of sins follow from this. End quote. Verse 18, we saw the wrath of God revealed, the truth of God concealed. Men suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. And in verse 19, God made himself evident to all. All men know God exists. Man rejects, rejects God since the fall of man. Verse 20, his invisible attributes, eternal power, and divine nature clearly seen. Man is without excuse. Verse 21, man, a darkened heart, filled with foolishness. Verse 22, professing to be wise yet fools. And verse 23, we see that the exchange begins. And in verse 24, we really begin to see the results and consequences of a society when they are abandoned by God. We find three phases that are mentioned. We see the same phrase over and over again. Verse 24, 26, 28, similar phrase. Therefore God gave them over. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them over. Verse 28, God gave them over to a depraved mind. The indictment of all men since the fall of man. Also a description of what happens when people, when a people, a society abandon God. 
And the description is that God abandons a people by removing his restraint on them. Listen to how uh, Ernie Reisinger puts it. He says, in this passage we find mass apostasy as people turn from the worship of the invisible, true, and living God and embrace grotesque idolatry. No other scripture addresses our present society more poignantly, he says. In a solemn act of judgment, God abandoned the people described in Romans 1. He asks, if he gave that sinful people over to its own corruption, should we be surprised if he sends judgment on us? End quote. Good question to ask. I remember one time in a, in a famous evangelist who we would disagree on many, many fronts theologically, and he went astray. But he said something along the lines of, if God does not judge America soon, he's going to happen, happen to um, have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And indeed, we could say he may be on to something there. But our first point, we find a damnable downgrade, a damnable downgrade. Paul describes the downward, the downgrade, the downward spiral of a society in three stages. Verse 24, therefore God gave them over to the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. So we're going to get a quick history lesson of uh, maybe the last 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years. Just going to point out some things, not necessarily going to make a dogmatic statement, just mentioning some of these things. Perhaps I'll be dogmatic on some of them, but mentioning some of these things just so we get a picture of where we've been. And there's going to be a lot of things left out, but this is just to remind us, as Paul speaks on sexuality and depravity and those intertwined and where man goes, Paul lays that out for us. And so that is the type of topic primarily that we will consider. Again, 1960s, the sexual revolution. You say, what was that? Research it. You'll understand, some of you are old enough that you lived through it. You know exactly what that meant. Alfred Kinsey, a sexologist, 1940s. You say, what did he do? Look it up. John Money, a more recent sexologist. And included in the 1960s with this sexual revolution was the introduction of what is known the pill. Not making a statement on that, just explaining to us where we are. According to Planned Parenthood's websites, the late 1960s and early 1970s was abortion reform. 1970, legal abortion in New York. 1973, Roe v. Wade. Also in the 1960s, we know that there was uh, the hippie movement. All right? um, the, one of their quotes was, make love, not war. So you combine these things together. And in the 1970s and the 80s, the rise of harder drugs in our society. Also, the decline of biblical preaching. The rise of church growth, prosperity gospel, business model churches. Combine that through, um, with bad theology and what was known as the Jesus movement in the 1970s. In the late 60s and 70s, where no doubt many hippies were converted. But that's where the Calvary Chapel movement came out of. 
horrible theology. People got converted, but did a lot of damage as well. Which some are trying to repeat on the 50th anniversary of uh, some of this that took place. Proudly promoting the biggest water baptism in U.S. history. So my encouragement to you all is, please, do not be duped by things like this. Considering the downgrade. And considering how, on a certain anniversary, these things will happen and there's going to be another Jesus movement and revolution. No, we need biblical revival through the preaching of the Word of God. And we need proper theology, correct theology. But we see where it starts is a damnable downgrade, a damnable downgrade. And then secondly, a departing to degrading passions. Departing to degrading passions. Verse 26 to 27, for this reason God gave them over to degrading passions. The NIV says shameful lusts. NASB, for their women exchange the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in verse 27... I read it already in the same way. The men abandoned the natural function of the women and burned their desire towards one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving their own persons the due penalty of their error. NIV says it this way. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty of for their perversion. Again, a little bit of history. <clears throat> Same-sex marriage legalized in June 26, 2015 from the president at that time was Barack Hussein Obama. 20, uh, 2003, Massachusetts, first state to allow same-sex couples to adopt children. And according to Lawrence versus Texas, According to Justice Scalia, until 1961, all 50 U.S. states outlawed sodomy. Paul's description of a declining society is focused in this text, having him using striking candor. He's putting it out there. He is just laying it on the table, saying it like it is, and I'm going to do the same. He is speaking of sexual perversion. Let me read from you from a quote from James Montgomery Boyce from the 1990s. Okay, I read from you Carl Henry, 1988, now 1990s. He says this, For centuries, these matters were hardly spoken of in the Western society. Although some were no doubt practicing these acts, they were considered so reprehensible that a moral person not only was not to speak about them, but he or she was not even to know what such vices involved. But today... Again, 1990s. Today, they are written about with explicit detail in virtually every newspaper and magazine. Remember those things? Newspaper magazine in our land. Grade school children discuss them. 1990s. Where are we? 30 years later, give or take? And he says, not only are we not shocked, but we have become complacent. As if this were a natural expression of a upright spirit. Two things to remember on this quote, 30 years ago, give or take. Second thing to remember, you give any perversion an inch, 
You give any revolutionary cause an inch, they will take a mile every single time. Praise God when such were some of us and God saves people out of this. We have to remember that. Most of us can remember a time when uh, lesbianism and homosexuality were some, something that were, were behind closed doors or people advocated for uh, this uh, a mantra as long as they love each other or it does not affect me, it's okay type of thing. Remember as a kid, that was the type of situation, the type of thing that was mentioned. Now it is with every type of perversion accept this or else. If you don't accept this, you're a bigot, you're a hater, you're a racist. Dallas Express. Dallas, Texas. Deep in the heart of Texas, right? Dallas mandates transgender pronoun use. An internal internal city of Dallas gender transition toolkit requires all public employees to use a transitioning person's preferred pronouns regardless of personal beliefs. The toolkit defines transitioning as the process of changing one's gender from the sex assigned at birth to one's gender identity. There are many ways to transition. It, it, inclu- it can, continues. A transition can be social, legal, or medical. Transition may include coming out, which is telling family, friends, or coworkers, changing the name or sex on legal documents, or accessing medical treatments such as hormones and or surgery. City employees, the document explains, are expected to respectfully use the transitioning employees' preferred name and pronouns, regardless of whether or not they believe in, approve of, or accept an individual's right to be transgender or undergo a a gender transition. An employee has the right to be addressed by the name and pronoun of their choice, the toolkit adds. Our addressing the employee by their chosen pronoun is a sign of respect to them as an individual. The city of Dallas lists refusing to respect an employee's gender identity by intentionally referring to an employee by a name or pronouns that do not correspond to the employee's gender identity as a form of discrimination and harassment. The employee's manager is required to police pronoun usage ensuring that other employees in the workplace adjust to using the new name and pronouns as soon as possible. If anyone refuses to use the preferred non-biological pronouns for any reason, the offending person will be investigated and may be disciplined up to and including termination. Dallas, Texas. The introduction, history again, the introduction of the rainbow flag, 1978. June 25th, San Francisco Gay Parade. 1994, it became a symbol of LGBTQ. Pride Month, June 2000, Democrat President Bill Clinton declared the month, I think it was Gay and Lesbian Pride Month. 2009, Barack Hussein Obama named June LGBT Pride Month. Now, the latest flag that we'll see, that we'll find, uh, you may see, such in Milford, near where I live, 
I'm sure the taxpayers are uh, gleefully paying, paying for that and enjoying the fact that there are several flags, the, the rainbow mixed with the transgender flags. Perhaps you have seen that. You've seen them all over the place. Mixed into one flag. You say, how can you talk about these things? How dare a church not talk about these things? I may not be saying it well, but I would be a derelict of duty if I did not talk about these things. Natural to unnatural, in verse 24, spoke of impurity, immorality. Impurity, immorality, male with female outside the bounds, biblical bounds described in the scripture as we find marriage. But for a male, desiring for a female is a natural desire. A female for a male is a natural desire to be expressed in the context that God lays out for us. Male for male desire, woman for woman desire is never a natural desire. It's described in Scripture as unnatural. When Paul describes specific consequences for the specific sins that are unnatural, he says, receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. So we find here in Romans 1 a a damnable downgrade, then a departure to degrading passions. And then thirdly, being delivered to a depraved mind. Being delivered to a depraved mind. Just as they do not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. It's interesting to consider because we, we know the theology, we know the teaching of depravity of man. That man can't come to Christ on his own. Man without Christ will, uh, will remain dead in sin. We understand that, hopefully, as we continue to study the Scripture, we realize the depravity of man. And here, Paul speaks of a depraved mind. But it's not first, it comes later. So this depraved mind, described here in verse 28, is one that is due to the continued path of the sin described in Romans 1. The end is is always worse than the beginning for one who continues down this path or for society that continues down this path. Substituting darkness for light and light for darkness. Who become more like Satan rather than like God. Those given over with a depraved mind or become more like the devil. Delivered to a depraved mind. And then fourthly, a deep dive. A deep dive into depravity described. That's what we really see with verse 29 through 32. Deep dive into depravity described. Now when we list, I'll list some of these out and I'm going to go into details with some of these. Why? Because some of these details, we can look at this and say, oh yeah, that's society out there. No, some of this is in the church in here. And we need to look at these. One theologian calls this section here, it's verse 29 through 32, lifting the lid on hell. So let's organize and categorize these sins and focus on a few of them. 
three main parts here. Well, when it says being filled, this introduces four general descriptions of sin. Unrighteousness, wickedness, greed or covetousness, and evil or depravity. Comprehensive description. This is what those described are filled with. This is what we without Christ would be filled with. Then we have the word full, followed by five modifiers. Full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. Brutality, violence. Brutality, violence by minors today. Has anyone noticed that that is on the increase? Has anyone noticed how those who are 14, 13, whatever it is, 15 years old, and a group of them will attack an adult and someone will film it? And we see that time and over and over again. We live in a very violent society in many ways. Some of it's just behind closed doors, as it were. So some, those are some of the uh, ones described there, the sins described there. And then we have 12 phrases that describe such depravity. Now we look at those words, unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, murder, strife. We look at those and we say, man, those are all out there, are they not? We say, those things are horrific. They're out there. But then there's some that describe those who damage or destroy others' reputations. And we say, what could bring a church down? What could really hinder a a local church? Gossip and slander. Those two are listed here. Those two are manifested in some way with some of us here. Gossip, whispering in hushed tones, spreading rumors, using non-factual info. Rumors are devilish and harmful. Slandering, false and malicious talk about others. Harmful, hurtful, publicly, openly speaking against. Oftentimes, we'll find this with those with the shell of being godly and all put together. Those interesting with murder and all of that in there are sins of the tongue that can very well be manifest in a church like this, specifically among women, and you know that. The next six expressions show that what Tom Schreiner calls allied in terms of the shocking depth of evil. Then we go, he, Paul goes right to those things like murder, then gossip and slandering, then haters of God. Haters of God. And some theologians say that this could be translated hated by God, but that doesn't fit the context here. But it is a true statement for those without Christ. Psalm chapter 5, verse 5, The boastful shall not stand before your eyes, you being God. You hate all who do iniquity. You destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. Haters of God. Insolent, arrogant, boastful. Uh, Insolent, arrogant, boastful. Pride, puffed up. 
boastful pride being known by hearing about it, right? When someone boasts, you hear about it. You hear about what they're proud about. But then these, these last two, these really stand out for us in our society today. Inventors of evil and disobedient to parents. Inventors of evil and disobedient to parents. This inventing of evil, create, creativity of evil highlighted. And sin, disobedience to parents, sin that disrupts the family. Sins that disrupt the family. These are linked together. These are phrases signifying the depth of the evil that is produced. Again, we have trickle-down immorality because of turning from God to, to idols. Inventions of evil that could disrupt the family What could that possibly be in our society today? Enter in transgenderism. Now, there is a certain worldview that has been pushed very hard. Again, the dust has settled somewhat. That has been pushed very hard and embraced very naively in recent years. In our nation specifically. Even by professing Christians under the banner of what is called social justice. We haven't heard that term in a while. This worldview is called Marxism, named, of course, after Karl Marx. You might recall he wrote the Communist Manifesto. If you're really interested, you you should read that to see what he believed. Or you could read the Christian rebuttal to it, which I would recommend even more. But his co writer, Frederick Ingalls, is also a name you might be familiar with. Both of these men lived in London the same time that Charles Spurgeon was preaching. Ingalls referred to Spurgeon as a person he hated most in the world. Marx was an avid atheist. He wanted to throw out anything that had to do with God. To start over over from a ground-up revolution. With his ideas and actions. Now we say, well, that was then, this is now. Well, men and women with this mindset are in high positions of authority, my friends. Remember these recent terms. Remember, the dust has settled a little bit, right? Two or three years ago, if I would have said this two or three years ago, people would have gotten mad and and pouted and everything else. CRT or CT, critical race theory or critical theory. Remember those terms? Social justice, BLM, which I mentioned before, the co-founder, it said that they are trained Marxists, by the way. All rooted in Marxism. If you do not read the Communist Manifesto, read What Every Christian Needs to Know About Social Justice by Jeff Johnson. I have copies in the bookstore. Excellent book, paperback. You can read it in two or three days. Very informative. If you want to read a more in-depth study, uh, go to Fault Lines by Vody Bauckham, Jr., Other terms, remember these. Intersectionality, anti-racist, wokeness. These are all connected. Diversity, equity, equity, inclusion. Why would an anti-God and an anti-Christian worldview such as Marxism promote transgenderism? Because it's anti-God and anti-family, that's why. 
and for the deconstruction of authority and such as civil authority. So as we enter in and consider transgenderism, according to the American Psychological Association, sometimes you'll see that as apa.org or .com, that's American Psychological Association. Well, first, a gender identity it refers to a person's internal sense of being male or female or something else is the definition. And then transgender is a catch-all term, they say, that refers to the many ways that people might perceive their gender identity to be out of sync with their biological sex. The Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Mental Disorders, also known as the DSM, had transgender classified as gender identity disorder until 2013. When they changed it, we replaced it with gender dysphoria. So therefore, a transgender person would be uh, not be labeled as having a psychological disorder. That is the re real, um, rationalization of the world. Okay, The DSM, Stati uh, Diagnostic Statistical Manual of um, Mental Disorders used by psychologists, psychiatrists, mental social workers, licensed uh, clinical social workers, licensed mental health counselors, and whatever else. When we read, though, Romans, when we read the Word of God in Romans chapter 1, we find that just as uh, homosexuality and lesbianism, transgender as well goes against what is natural in God's design. The exchange of natural to unnatural, we see. Even in what would be considering that, when we consider where we are and we consider everything from going to the hormones and to the surgeries and all of that, we just consider the, the attire from the get-go, the, the, the manner of dress. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5 says, A woman shall not wear men's clothing, nor shall a man put on a woman's clothing, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. Now that's just wearing the outfit. Now, I've mentioned before, I believe, maybe it was in my own mind, but considering the, the transgender focus, the target is children, ultimately. How? Indoctrination, confusion, and transformation. Indoctrinate, confuse, and then transform. Indoctrinate in any way you can, confuse in any way you can, and then transform in any way you can. Now, there's various theories of why this is happening. I'm not going to get into all those, because bottom line, it goes against God's design. Bottom line, it's from natural to unnatural, and we need to see what the Word of God says and go on that. Under the guise of what is called gender-affirming care, okay? Now, that sounds, um, that sounds very, very nice, very benign. Gender-affirming care. Well, ask an individual, I've mentioned her before, like Chloe Cole, about that. Self-described former trans kid, detransitioned after years of puberty blockers and double mastectomy at the age of 15. Gender-affirming care. Surgery, mutilations, puberty blockers, medication, Changing, although they say, changing from a male to a female, although you can't do that. The push to be able to do 
some of this, if not all of this, on children without parental knowledge is on full throttle. And you say, well, I'm so glad my my children aren't in public school, but they're homeschooled. Well, there's no guarantees there either. And if you think that way, make sure your nose isn't very high in the air. Make sure your nose is on the ground praying for those who may not have that type of situation. Or that your husband doesn't die and then you cannot have that any longer. Or your husband says, I think they're going to go to public school now. So don't dare point fingers like that. There are no guarantees if you're homeschooled, public schooled, private schooled. This is going to affect a lot of children. And it is on full throttle. And if some of you are uncomfortable with some of the things I'm saying, I am unapologetic here. I tend to agree with a man from Florida who says, he said this, and uh, his first name's Ron, and I'm not uh, standing with him by any means, but he said something, I give him credit for being courageous. He says, if you're taking off the private parts of some 15-year-old kid, you should go to jail. Cutting them up. That's what's being done. Yet there are only two genders, male and female. The Bible is clear. And that's where we stand. That's where we land, no matter what. Male and female, and you cannot change that. So when you say, well, that's out there, not in New Hampshire, certainly not in Manchester, certainly not in Milford, certainly not in Nashua. Milford Pride Parade. Nashua Pride Parade, Manchester Pride Parade, and a youth pride and other drag shows to entertain your children at a local establishment near you. This is where we are as a society. Verse 31. Without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. It just continues going down, downward. And although, verse 32, although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but give hearty approval to those who practice them. Hearty approval to these things that are evil, to these things that are wicked, to these things that are destroying people. Fully aware of God's displeasure and disapproval of their sinful behavior. They know that they are worthy of death but they give hearty approval to wickedness. They call good evil and evil good. It's a highway to hell, yet only a foretaste of what hell is even like. And when we consider those today who give hearty approval to these things, hearty approval to what they're doing to children, musicians, entertainers, even some that would call themselves pastors, senators and representatives, They give hearty approval with zeal of abortion and gender-affirming care, as they call it. How dare a professing Christian 
stand with one? Or how dare a professing Christian vote for one? Such a person as this. I was talking to someone the other day, an older lady, and she was two years out from an election. Oh, who do we, you know, what's going to happen then and this? It's like, we know what we cannot go to. We know the, those who are standing against Christianity, those who are for what they're doing for our children. How dare a Christian even get near that? Fifthly, declare truth, disciple in truth. Declare truth, disciple in truth. What do we do then? And I've left so much out because every day it just gets, we understand there's so much more. And you may say, well, you could have pointed this out. You could have said that. We would be here till tomorrow. And then there would be way more. So my point was just to bring the context of where we are as a society, and we see it in the Scriptures. What do we do as Christians? Well, Paul gives us the answer right there in chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, really. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And when we consider someone who, or people that we know, people we love and care about who are are wrapped up in uh, transgenderism or whatever sexual sin there is, we remember that uh, for the the word of God and the the power of the Holy Spirit to save such a one, and and they can say, if they are converted, they can say that such were some of, of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. There is so there is hope with the gospel of Jesus Christ for those who are wrapped up in this, even if they're far gone, hook, line, and sinker, according to our own thinking. As long as they're still breathing, we're still praying for them. Still preaching the gospel to them. All stand condemned without Christ. No human being will be justified by works. All are sinners and fall short of the glory of God. Only those who respond to the gospel call and repentance and faith will have eternal life. As we'll see when we go to communion, as Christ was put forward by God, displaying him publicly as a propitiation, as a substitute. In Romans 5, a verse I go to often, verse 6 and following, For while we were still helpless... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. One will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen, amen. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Just some practical things when we consider. What do we do? What can we do? What do we do as Christians? What can we do? 
will recognize that we are ripe for revival or judgment. If God so chooses to send revival, which comes through the preaching of the Word of God and through prayer, Nineveh is a great example. Revival would start in our hearts, and it would be obvious. Ian Murray suggests that there are six things revival will bring. I'm just going to list them for you real quick. Revival restores faith in the Word of God. Also restores definitiveness in the meaning of Christian. Revival advances the gospel with amazing swiftness. Revival always has moral impact upon communities. Revival changes understanding of the Christian ministry. Revival will change the public worship of the churches. Secondly, we remember, reconcile the fact that Christians, as Christians, we need to be part of the solution. We don't hunker down and just wait for everything to blow over. No, we need to be actively involved, preaching the gospel, doing what we can in our society for the glory of Christ. Speaking up, speaking out, preaching the gospel. God has us here in this particular time for a reason and for a season. Also, somewhat of a side note, but maybe helpful for us. God has called us to be good stewards, right? And when we consider all of this, we, we often hear of boycott this and boycott that and this and that. Well, it's very easy for a wealthy podcast host or a commentator or an author who makes millions to call for a boycott, boycott of a department store when they have enough money to shop wherever they want. Well, for regular folk like us, we do the best we can and make the best choices as we can without being parrots of what the media or whether uh, whoever it is would tell us to do. We pray about these things. We say, God, what is best in these things? I'll make the best decisions I I can with the money you gave me, O God. And we can't be someone else's conscience if they say, well, I need to go to this department store for such and such reason or whatever it is. I mean, some things are very obvious that we cannot engage in. But if we say we're going to boycott everything, you're not going to shop anywhere. Push comes to shove. So we do what we can using the wisdom of the Lord. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go to communion. I'm going to stay here for the first part of communion because I have things to read. And then when it comes time to minister, I will, I'll be down there. So let's pray. <clears throat> oh, God, as we looked at your word, and as one theologian said, there's no other text of Scripture, no other section of Scripture that really describes a nation that is many ways given over because of sin. And Lord, we know there is hope. There's hope in Christ. We know we are here for a reason. You have left us here to worship you, to share the good news, to be, uh, to do the one another's as you have called us to, to lovingly and boldly engage those who are wrapped up those who are just all in in transgenderism and and the the rest and all the LGBTQ 
and everything there, Lord. And it's easy, we could mock, but we ought not. These are people created in your image. These are people who need Jesus. And God, give us the courage and the boldness to reach out with the truth. And give us hearts of compassion to pray for those who we know that are in those situations. That God, you may lift them out of it and that you may save their souls. Lord, we pray for revival. We do. And we pray for our hearts here needed. I pray for my own heart. Revive my heart, Lord, that I would take your word seriously, that I would take the things of you seriously, O God. That we would take prayer seriously, Lord. Help us to live out what you have called us to for your glory. By your grace alone, only can we do these things. By the Holy Spirit power. Not by our own strength. We need your grace each and every day. Remind us of that. Help us with that. Prepare our hearts even so now, Lord, as we go to the Lord's table. In Jesus' name, amen.